All right, good morning. Glad to be here with you all again today. I uh, just want to remind you all, um, Michelle sent out in the newsletter, I forgot to mention this morning in my announcements, but we our Wednesday night singing classes are extending an extra week. Uh, Tyron's been doing an excellent job of sharing these new songs with us. And like I said last week, these songs give us kind of new verbiage to, to use and a new understanding. Uh, sometimes if you're not really connected to music, you might not realize it, but how much music matters and how you perceive God in your relationship with him. So I want to encourage you to come this, this coming Wednesday. Again, I won't be there this week. for We have another golf match this Wednesday, unfortunately. Um, but it is highly... Um, hmm. What word should I use, Leon? Informational. It's highly encouraging. It's all the things, right? It's all the things you want a class to be. So I encourage you to be there. Uh, but today we are going to continue our study in, in Luke. And if you weren't here last week, uh, we talked a little bit about being prepared, right? What it means to be prepared, what it means to live a prepared lifestyle. We looked at the four people that God has called to be preparers of the preparer of the way, right? With John the Baptist, with Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph, and how they live their lives in a way in which they're prepared for whatever God had to throw at them, right? We talked about how uh, people who are prepared, they have different things about them. They expect things to happen, right? They expect God to intervene. They expect God to do something when they ask God to do something, even if they don't see it, right? Prepared people are flexible. Even when life kind of throws wrenches in their path, prepared people are ready to adjust and adapt. And lastly, we talked about prepared people being patient people, right? That even when they don't see God at work, God is at work. Right? They are patient to see what God has in store for them. But today, we are going to continue in the book of Luke to Emmanuel. Right? God physically being with his people. I'm excited to get there. But before we do, I want to ask this question. Do you have any favorite family pictures? Right? In your mind, do you have a few kind of highlights that run through your memory banks? I asked my sister if she had some family pictures of us growing up. This is one of my sister and I. Uh, this wasn't the picture I was looking for, uh, but we would go to this putt-putt golf course by our house all the time called Pirate's Cove, and that's us there just, you know, playing putt-putt at our favorite spot. Uh, there was this iconic picture of us laying down in this one hole, and it's still there today, and my kids, I got, got to reenact that with my own kids, which was kind of cool, uh, but that's one of mine that kind of comes to my mind when I think about family pictures growing up. This one, though, is the most iconic divine family picture there is, right? Uh, use my laser pointer here. That's young Jimmy right there with the bowl cut, fresh looking. And my cousin Johnny also with the bowl cut because everybody had a bowl cut at this time period. Amen, that's right. Uh, that's my sister there with the bangs, right? Bangs are back, I think. Um, and my cousin Joanna. And throughout the years, we would recreate this photo over and over again, right? Uh, this was outside of my grandmother's house, this tree surrounded by uh, just this pond, and we used to always climb that tree. That's like the iconic photo. But something even more iconic, me and my sister go into these Jaguar games our entire lives, right? Go Jags. Um, we would go early. We'd get there right when they would let people in, and we'd go down to the front to watch warm-ups and then head back to our seats. So many memories uh, at this stadium. It used to be Alltel Stadium, where we would go and interact with the players, right? Get high fives. I even got a football thrown to me one time. Uh, but it was iconic, right? And I'm sure some of you are, are going through the carousel in your mind of those iconic family pictures that you have. But before we get any further, there's a kind of a reason why 
we think this way. And I have a, a, a short video to play for you if you have audio on there back for me. And you'll probably recognize this pretty quickly as it starts to play. Moments. Life is filled with moments just waiting to be taken. So you guys remember that? The Kodak moment, right? That's still something I think we say today, right? Like a Kodak moment in a way where what they're trying to convey is that whatever's taking place, it de it's deemed worthy of a piece of film being used to take that picture, right? There was a time when taking pictures was a little bit more difficult than it is today. Right, we have these iconic photo albums, I think, growing up because it was kind of a struggle to get that camera out because you didn't always just have it on you, right? Nowadays, I have pictures of every second of my kids' lives, it seems, right? I don't mind that, right? More pictures, more memories, but what I think they did a great job in this marketing campaign was to get you to say, you know what? This moment is special enough for me to take out this camera and use this film to make, make this an iconic moment for the rest of our lives. We're going to remember this even more deeply, right? There's pictures I can kind of sort of remember being on that tree with my cousins, right? If there wasn't a picture, I probably wouldn't remember it as well. If I didn't have the pictures of me and my sister at Pirate's Cove or the Jaguars games, I would remember those moments, but the pictures give it this clarity, right? And I'm sure for you, the pictures in your life help you to have more clarity as to what the situation was while that picture was being taken, right? These Kodak moments, right? These memories that you want to last forever encapsulated in a picture. Very, very significant. Moments worth remembering is what I'm getting at, right? When we take pictures, they're memories that we want to remember forever. I want you to keep this in mind as we continue on into Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, again, it's a lot of scripture. Today, I will have all the verses up there, but please make sure you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2 this morning. So like I said, we're, we're progressing to Emmanuel, God literally being with us, and we're going to read here in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped, in, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So here we are. Fulfilled promises are taking place, right? Not just fulfilled promises from the Old Testament, but fulfilled promises that Mary got directly herself, right? That we talked about last week. This angel visited Mary. The angel said, hey, this is going to take place. And guess what it did? Fulfillment promises are being fulfilled, okay? Here come the shepherds. What is taking place here? Interesting. Beginning in verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Talking about the shepherds who also received a vision to say, hey, go see this. In verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So again, we have the shepherds who are out tending their flock, and they receive this calling, right? Hey, go see this child who's been born. And they go and they see this child who has been born. And again, the fulfillment of a promise is being fulfilled, right? This is taking place. It is actually happening. And Mary treasures all these things in her heart. This is so strange, right? I want you to be with the person of Mary and all this is taking place, right? She doesn't just live at VBS where she's just smiling and shiny, right? A lot is happening. She's just given birth. This fulfillment of a prophecy has taken place. And now these people are coming to see her who she doesn't even know. These smelly shepherds, right, are coming to see this baby. And she's just taking it all in. She's taking it all in as it comes. And then some time passes, and Mary and Joseph, being the faithful followers of God they are, they bring their baby to the temple and, um, to, to be blessed. And they meet a couple people along the way. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts, thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And then they also meet this other person, Anna, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So on their way to do this, this ritual thing with their, with their child, to bless this child, they meet these two people who have been kind of waiting for this moment to happen. Very strange, once again. As much prophecy as you can hear, still I'm sure the interactions are strange in and of themselves. Looking back to Simeon, where this guy has literally been staying night and day, waiting for this to take place. God promised that he will not die before he sees the Messiah. And this day finally comes, and he approaches the family and said, this is what's going to take place, a blessing to them. And also they meet Anna, a priestess who has also been waiting for this day to come, blesses, her, blesses this child, blesses this family as they go to, the, the, to, to bless Jesus. A lot of special moments are taking place here in Luke chapter 2. And there's so much going on. We continue on to the verses that we read this morning, that Alonzo read for us this morning, where it kind of fast forward through adolescent Jesus, right? I've talked about how much I would love to see more baby Jesus stories, right? His first steps, what that was like. Maybe the first time he, you know, I don't know. Interesting things happen, right, when you're a kid. But we fast forward to this experience that Jesus has at Passover. And we've read this story before. But to summarize, they're here, and the family leaves, but Jesus doesn't leave with them, right? After three days, they found him in the temple courts. They're searching for him, right? Sitting around with the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So we have such a complex situation happening here, right? The faithful followers that Mary and Joseph are in the family, they're going to Jerusalem for Passover. And there's so many implications here. 
right? Passover, the experience, the, the celebration of the, the, the people of God getting out of Egyptian captivity, this liberation, right? A celebration of liberation. Now Jesus is going back to Jerusalem to celebrate this thing that in that place, several years later, he is going to be the liberator of all people, right? There's so many implications. For three days, they searched for Jesus. For three days, he was in the tomb, right? Before he liberated all of humanity in one moment. So many implications, but then we're kind of drawn back to what's taking place here. The real mother Mary and Joseph who are searching for their son, and he's just in the temple doing what he's going to continue to do. Right? I wonder if he's talking to people in this very moment who are going to one day want to crucify him. Right? All these different implications are at play. A very long chapter, a lot of stuff happens, a lot of implications. We could talk prophecy. If we had a Bible class, we could take four weeks on this, right? But we're not doing that this morning, I promise. But I kept reading this over and over again, and two things kept standing out to me, these two verses. In Luke 2, 19 and 51, in verse 19 it says this, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, right? Remember, this is right after the shepherds come and visit her and her baby. And then in verse 51, then she went down, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, right? This is after they've been searching and searching for Jesus. And all this stuff is taking place, and she's kind of stopping and treasuring all this in her heart. And I kept coming back to this because it's so strange to me that this is being added to this. This is a very human element to what Mary is experiencing, right? Because it's not just VBS, Mary. This is flesh and blood Mary, a woman who is carrying out God's calling in her life. She's treasuring these moments in her heart, these very strange moments, these, these moments of fulfillment, these moments of kind of frustration maybe and, and, and being scared in verse 51, but she's treasuring them in her heart. So I looked at the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar by any means. Please don't get it twisted like that. But the word is tereo. And the word here, treasure, literally means to guard, to maintain, and to preserve. So I take these things and I put it back into the text and I look at what's going on and Mary is looking around her and she's almost guarding these memories that she's having at this moment. Right, The memories of when the shepherds come and visit her, she's guarding, she's maintaining. I want to preserve this memory because this is significant to me. And then later on in verse 51, where she's kind of taking stock of this situation, she wants to guard and maintain and preserve whatever memory is taking place at this moment because it's significant as to what's going to happen for the rest of her life. We can be kind of, you know, silly and buy into the marketing, marketing aspect of this all and say this is a Kodak moment, right, for Mary. This is something that's going to be very, very important because what's interesting is that I don't think it's so different from what a normal mother would experience, right? Normally, mothers do treasure those moments where they see their baby for the first time or they hug their baby or a time when the, when the, the child is kind of becoming a man or a woman and it's kind of a moment to remember. But it seems that there's something much more significant for Mary in this moment because it's directly related to her calling to what God is calling her to do in her life. These Kodak moments, this deeper remembering, this guarding, this maintaining, this preserving is, being taking, is taking place at this time. And what I take away from this is that Luke chapter 2 and this 
this relationship that God and Mary have and that Mary and Jesus have, all of this kind of comes together to show me that Jesus is the ultimate experience or the ultimate representation of what it looks like to partner with God. God's partnership with humanity is made, is made manifest by the flesh and blood of Jesus on earth. In these moments, these things that are taking place, it's God partnering not only with Jesus, but with Mary, right? And with Elizabeth and with Zechariah and with Joseph, all these people that we read about, it's this deeper understanding of God partnering with humanity. And then he sends Jesus to say, yes, this is real. Emmanuel, God is with us, flesh and blood. I am your partner and I always have been your partner, but I want to make it very clear. I will always be your partner. But the problem is, is that as much as this has been true from, from the beginning of time, humans have a really good propensity to forget this, right? We did a long study through 1 Samuel, and I don't need to recap the entire, book, the entire book, but there's a lot of ups and downs for the people of God, right? They would often say, we need you, God, and God would show up and they'd say, yes. And the next time they go out and be like, we don't need you, God. And he's like, okay. And then bad things tend to happen. And it's this up and down, back and forth. They want to have a king, right? And they're, and, and they're like, Samuel's like, hey, you don't need a king. God's your king. And they're like, we don't want to listen to you. We want this really handsome guy, Saul, to be our king, right? And we could go over and over throughout the entire Old Testament where God's people forget and forget. And guess what? We're not so different ourselves, right? That should be a resounding yes, okay? I need you to wake up a little bit this morning. We forget like crazy, there are endless examples of us forgetting that God wants to partner with you and me. Even though we have the example of Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of saying, I am on your side, we still forget. We have a hard time doing this. We have a hard time to, re oh, to remember these things, to treasure these things in our heart. I think that's why this is such an important verse, this Deuteronomy 6 for Jewish people, okay? This is what it says. Hear, O Israel. I have to say it like that. I never say Israel that way ever, except for this because of the song, right? <laughs> Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Excuse me. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's so interesting. Uh, I know right now it's very, very tumultuous in Israel, right? But I guarantee you this is still what they're about right now. Uh, the, pe the, the Jewish people, I, I was thankful enough to go, uh, lucky enough to go to, to Israel earlier this year. In every single building that you go to, that is a Jewish building there, they have the Shema in these little things called mezuzahs on every single doorframe. If you go to a hotel, every single doorframe in the entire hotel has these things, right? They take this very seriously. And, right, and for us, we're like, that's kind of overkill, Right? 
But to them, it's like, why wouldn't you do this, right? Why wouldn't you want to be reminded in every room that you walk into that God is going to bless you if you follow his commands, right? Because when you read this, it's very clear that God has a plan for us from the very beginning. In verse 3, he says, hey, be careful and obey what I've commanded you to because I've given you something really awesome. There is a plan for my people, but you need to follow my will. And I don't want it to be a situation where we think, oh, God is so egotistical. Let's get it straight. God doesn't need our love. But it goes back to that partnership that I was talking about before. There is a plan for partnership from the very beginning of the entire creation of the world. God wants to partner with his creation, but we have a hard time remembering that. We always forget. We need to practice the art of treasuring these moments in our hearts, like Mary showed us how to do that. Mary shows us how important this is because I guarantee you, like, we read sometimes these these verses and life is sped up. But life was not sped up for these people, right? They had to go through every single day just like you and me. And I guarantee you there were times in Mary's life where she was like, I'm not sure if this is real. Like, what is, is, is this still a, a promise that is still taking place? But that's why I think these moments where we look and it says that she treasures these moments in her heart, it's this continual remembering. And it's almost like God is saying, yes, keep going. Right? It's these moments that are taking place, these fulfillments of prophecy, these things that are happening in her life. And God is saying, yes, I am still with you. I am still with you. Please keep going because I have called you to go. Keep going going. These open doors, these fulfillments of prophecy are taking place. Yes, keep going. These are the moments that will help you when times are tough. These are your Kodak moments, right? These moments of clarity where it's very, very easy to see where God is calling you to go and to go and do, right? Keep on going. Uh, Practicing this in our lives will help us Uh, But it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. So the question that I have, the big question this morning that I want us to think about is how can we be better at treasuring moments while we pursue God's calling in our life? Treasuring moments while we pursue God's calling in our lives. The very first thing is to notice open doors. I think through the life of Mary, we can see this very clearly in Luke chapter 2, right? where these fulfillments of prophecies are taking place. But I don't know about you, but I haven't had a prophecy spoken into my life like that, where I can see very, very specific things happening, right? But I do know that God has opened very specific doors for me that makes me think that God is blessing me as I go. For instance, um, I was in school uh, at Harding, and... I wanted to be a minister, and I thought that was a really great thing, but something happened in my life where I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I really think that ministry is for somebody else. I am a poor excuse for a Christian, let alone a minister. And so I went through life for a while thinking that, and then slowly but surely, doors kept being opened for me in ways that I could not ignore. Uh, I was asked to participate and really be involved in the children's program at the church that I was at in Holly Hill. They gave us, me and Michelle, a lot of responsibility for us to teach and to plan events and to do these things. And I was like, that's fun, but that's just something for me to do. i got to figure out what to do with my life. And then slowly and surely, it became very clear that I could actually go back to school and continue my degree. And I was like, but maybe it's not going to be in ministry. It might be in something else. And then slowly the doors kept opening and opening and opening to where I was like, okay, 
I guess I have to do ministry. And so I went back to school and I was about to graduate and I started applying to a lot of churches and I wanted to come back to Florida. I am from Florida. I need to be in Florida. So I was like, I need to apply to as many churches as possible. And nobody in Florida wanted to hire me. I got a lot of calls and not a lot of, or a, 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 I called a lot of people and didn't get a lot of calls back. I got further and further in interview processes, but nobody wanted to hire me. I was like, fine, I guess I will apply to a random place. And no more random place in the world exists to me than Mississippi. I, am, I, I drove through it. I never spent any time there, but I applied to this church in Oxford, Mississippi, and they called me back. We had an interview. That next weekend I visited. That next Monday night, so I visited on a Sunday. Monday night at like 9 o'clock, they called me and said, hey, we need to hire you now just in case somebody else snatches you up. I was like, interesting, because nobody in Florida thinks that. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, seriously, I, so I said yes to that opportunity, and I didn't know a single person in that state, and it turned out to be a great experience. It was a great church. I learned a lot. It was almost like a second college experience for me to learn the ins and outs of ministry, right? And so as I'm in ministry, I'm still being called. I need to come back home. I'm from Daytona Beach. I need to be close to an ocean and not a fake ocean. Like Sardis, we were talk- me and Tristan were talking about that at a small group. Not fake oceans, not fake beaches. I need a real beach. Um, so I, uh, I need to be close to family and all that. And just by chance, and it's not chance, I realize that now, um, Vic Pruitt's wife is really close friends with my mother-in-law, and she came up to celebrate my son's birthday in Mississippi. And she was randomly like, hey, this church in Melbourne, uh, their, their youth minister's thinking of, of, of doing something else. Would you be interested? And I was like, yes. I would be very interested. So I kind of just sort of thought about it. I sent my email to Steve Puckett at smpuckster at gmail.com, and I just didn't think much of it. And then, again, doors kept opening for me. I got an interview like the next week, and the next week they said, hey, let's set up a time for you to come. And then I came down, and then that same week you guys offered me the job, and it opened up so many doors so fast, and I was like, this just seems right to me. And so I had to say goodbye to my church in Mississippi, and they were sad to see me go, but they realized that it was time for us to go back home. It was time for us to do something a little bit different. And even here, once, once I've been here, I was barely the youth minister here. And I hate that. I'm so jealous of Leon that he gets to be the youth minister here. I, only, I said that half joking, okay? Because I felt like there were more open doors for me specifically here than anywhere else, right? To, to switch positions, to kind of be the youth minister, but also kind of be a Swiss army knife during COVID and during all this reconstruction that we did and all this, this changing and Steve retiring after 36 great years and all this turnover. It's been so crazy. I felt like I've been treading water for a very long time, but it just seems like doors kept opening and opening and I didn't know what was gonna be, on, be beyond that door, but the doors just kept opening. And it's easy, it's, it's kind of, I don't want you to look at my example as like, oh, only full-time ministers experience this. I guarantee you there are open doors in your life right now that you may or may not be aware of to what God is calling you to be and to to do in your life. Not just professionally, not just what employment, what gainful employment am I going to do, but the actual business of making disciples, there are doors that are open to you right now. The first opportunity, or the first step, is to notice those open doors. 
is to notice that there even is a door for a conversation to have or a ministry to start or a ministry to be involved in. There are open doors that you have to notice. But what, once you notice them, this is the second thing, you can't be afraid to walk through those open doors. Fear is a fantastic tool that Satan loves to use. Fear of walking through that door and not knowing what was going to be on the other side of it. I guarantee you, I was never more afraid than moving to Mississippi, guys. I, if, sometimes they watch. So I'm, I loved that church. I loved those people. I still love you guys. But I had some questions there that I never experienced before moving to like the real South. And I was so afraid of that stuff. And I was so afraid of it. But I learned so much. and I learned from so many people there that if I didn't take the opportunity, I'm afraid of what I might I probably wouldn't even be in ministry anymore. I don't know. It was so, so formative. And I guarantee you, you can think of experiences in your life where there was an open door and you said yes, it changed your entire life. Don't be afraid to walk through those open doors. If Luke 2 has anything to say to you, it's the word Emmanuel. God is with us. Let's say it together. Emmanuel, God is with us. Because if that is true, walking through these doors is a lot less scary. If that is true, if Emmanuel, if God is with us, then walking through those doors is not as scary. It all has to go back to what I talked about at the very beginning. This partnership that God is wanting to be with us in doing these things on earth. The Great Commission, we're not there yet in Luke, right? That happens at the end, but I'm going to keep talking about it, right? We're called to go and to do. Emmanuel is called to be with us as we go and as we do these things. Don't be afraid to step through those doors. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I pray that we're able to take the, this, the, the, the posture that Mary has in this chapter of treasuring up these moments of treasuring up these experiences so that we can do what you've called us to do. Help us to guard, help us to maintain, help us to preserve these moments and these memories that remind us of the partnership that you're calling us to be in with you. Help us to be fully in, in, in this partnership together. But help us to recognize that it's not just us, but it's Emmanuel, it's God with us, it's Jesus in the flesh that helps this, not helps, it makes it possible. God, thank you for that reality. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if you're sitting here this morning saying, you know what? I don't even know if there's, I, I happen to be in a house with no doors. Or I happen to be in a place where there's no doors being opened to me. There are absolutely no opportunities for me to walk through. I want to walk through those doors with you. I want to help you see. And not just me. There's so many people in this room right now that want to help you see those doors in your life. Let's notice them together. Let's walk through them together because not only can we be less afraid because Jesus is with us, but we can be less afraid because we are with each other, partnering together as we partner with God. If you have any needs at all, we want you to make them known as we stand and sing.